My name is Amy Winkle. I am the rector um, of Emmanuel, and so thankful to be together in the house of the Lord this morning. I also have a couple of things to, to mention, some celebrations um, that we wanted to make you aware of. So first of all, um, just want to mention that Jenny is coming back. We'll be back on Sunday next week. So um, yay. So, so glad to, that Jenny's going to be back with us and um, look forward to, to seeing her. Um, and being with her, I would just ask that you would pray for her um, as she c- continues to re-enter um, and kind of transition back into the life of the church. Um, and we just look forward to having her together in worship next week. Secondly, um, also on the staff front, I want to mention that we are moving into new office space this week. So, yay! Um, also, yay! Um, uh, and, and so I just want to mention that. So if you have ever come to, to Emmanuel during, during a weekday, you would walk through the double doors and see most of our staff sitting in the atrium or maybe sitting in having meetings in kids' rooms, or you may have had a pastoral meeting in the nursery. Anybody? Anybody? Um, among the toys, yes. <laughs> um, among the toys and um, the life-size monkey, stuffed monkey. Um, <laughs> Which I refer to as the emotional support monkey, actually. Um, so, but that has been the reality of our staff um, since the beginning. And so we are excited to enter a new day when we actually have office space um, where we can do our work, but also have meetings, um, meet with, with you all in the church, and just pray that it's going to be a great blessing. That um, office space is down the road um, at Israel Missionary Baptist Church, which is off Hosea Williams Drive as you're driving into Kirkwood. Um, Big old facility they have there, and they have been gracious enough to rent out some of the space to us so that we can have um, some office space. So we are very thankful to them and for the the partnership that um, we're, we're entering into with them and their graciousness to open up space for us. Um, and just to have a place to kind of settle. So one of our our staff mentioned that she's just excited to be able to put a post-it note on a desk and leave it there. So (laughs) that's the reality that we're in (laughs) at the moment. Um, But we look forward to sharing that space um, as as we get settled in. So just wanted to make you aware of that and to say, yay, thank you, Lord, um, for his provision. So our text for today is going to be in Matthew 22. We're going to start in verse 15 and go to uh, verse 22. So let's read together, and then we will pray, and then we will jump into the text. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and that you teach the way of God in accordance with truth, and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. (coughs) 
We thank you, Lord, for your word and for the way that you speak into our hearts. So we say, come Holy Spirit and enliven our minds and enliven our hearts that we might hear you, that we might see you. And we give you thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So similar to our, ta- our text from last week, um, this part of the text in Matthew is kind of smack dab in the middle of Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees as he's making his way to the cross. And so in this section of, of Matthew, we're seeing like kind of these, these different interactions of pe- different folks, especially the scribes and the Pharisees, coming to Jesus with questions or with like challenges, trying to see what he's going to say about different matters and really trying to sort of get him like caught in some way um, along the way. So in this passage, it's interesting because he's not confronted by the Pharisees directly, but instead they have sent their disciples to him and as well as these Herodians. So we don't know that much about the Herodians, but even their name suggests that they are loyal to Herod, um, who is in power over the Jews through Rome. Basically, he's like Rome's puppet um, leader. And so as they come to him, what they're saying to him is they start by flattering Jesus and saying all these really nice things about him. They're saying things like, you are sincere and you teach the truth. You do not regard people with partiality. You don't distinguish between people in such a way to say some are worthy and some are not. And the reality is, is that even though like in their heart, they're like, there's kind of intention there. What they are saying about Jesus is, is actually true. It is the reality um, that, that this is who Jesus is. And so they're naming these things, even if their heart is kind of far from him. And yet, they're coming to Jesus with a question that has really no good answer as a means to trap him, as Matthew tells us. Their tax question is a loaded question, and the audience is loaded as well. So basically, they're trying to set up, set Jesus up in such a way that he can't win. On one side, there are the Jews who are looking for a leader who will free them from Roman oppression. And so they want him to say that they don't owe taxes to Rome, as another revolutionary before Jesus had also said. So before Jesus' time, there was another, another revolutionary named Judas the Galilean who had led a revolt saying that paying taxes to Rome was really being complicit with Rome. So paying the tax was a way of glorifying Caesar rather than being faithful and glorifying God. So if Jesus says to them, if he answers the question by saying, yes, you should pay the taxes, then it could actually incite the people against him. It would mean that they wouldn't see him as a true revolutionary leader who had been sent to set them free. So that's one side. On the other side, you have the Herodians who are actually waiting for Jesus to say something that can get him into trouble with Rome. If he says that the people shouldn't pay taxes, the Herodians are ready to report back to Rome that he is trying to incite a revolution. And that could get Jesus arrested and probably killed for treason. So they come to Jesus and they ask him, should we pay or should we not pay? What they're really saying, though, is who do you want to turn against you? The Jewish people or Rome? 
Which side are you going to take? And neither side benefits Jesus. We want to nail you down so that you can suffer the consequences either way. Now, Jesus responds to them by saying, bring me a coin. And in in that, he is highlighting the fact that they actually possess these coins. And therefore, they are not really neutral. But instead, are actually involved in the specific question that they are asking. That they are trying to trap him for being complicit when they already are. So he takes the coin and he asks them a question. He says, whose image is this inscribed on the coin and whose title? Now the image is that of Caesar. And it was several Caesars back who actually started the practice of inscribing their own image onto the coin. And on this particular coin is like one of the sons of Caesar. It says on the coin, that is the title that it actually says on there, son of Caesar, which they would understand to mean son of God. Because if Caesar is God, or in the divine image of God, then therefore those who have come after him, the Caesars that follow, these emperors are all seen as like being sons of God. And basically both of these things are an abomination to the Jews. Deuteronomy has already told the Jews that they are not to inscribe images on anything. And so the fact that the coin has, a, has an image on it is an abomination to the Jews. Likewise, this whole idea of this emperor being a son of God and somehow divine, also an abomination to the Jews. So there are many things here that Jesus could actually go off on and so many things that he could rightly take issue with. And so I want us like to step back for a minute and just sort of think about this scene. Here's Jesus, and he's surrounded by these, these disciples of the Pharisees and by these Herodians, and he's holding this coin in his hand. He's holding this coin that holds Caesar's image on it, calling Caesar son of God. I just wonder what that must have been like for Jesus. I wonder what emotions must have flared up for him at the audacity of this person referring to themselves as the son of God. I mean, I just, I think rightly, it would have been so easy for him to feel angry and frustrated, right? Like, you just don't get it, you know? And also, maybe some pity and compassion, seeing how easily we are deceived and can miss what is right in front of us. And yet, even with all those emotions that must have been just flowing through him, what we see is him show a sense of restraint. And I wonder for those who are standing around him, I can just imagine them kind of holding their breath to see how he's going to respond, wondering which direction he's going to go in. Wondering who he's going to, um, who he's going to pick, so to speak. What side is he going to choose? But Jesus instead calmly points out what is true, what is right in front of them that he's hoping that they will see. He says, "Give to the emperor what belongs to the emperor, and to God what belongs to God." And with that phrase, Jesus raises it up above the tax question. 
And he said, it's not about that question. This is about something else. He reminds them of their actual identity by saying, give to God what belongs to God. Basically saying, you belong, all of you belongs to God. So Tertullian, who is an early church father, he wrote this about this particular verse. He says, that means render the image of Caesar, which is on the coin, to Caesar, and the image of God, which is imprinted on the person, to God. You give to Caesar only money, but to God you give yourself. His invitation in these moments to these Pharisees' disciples and to these Herodians is to remember who they are, who they truly belong to. And he invites them to give themselves to God. And one of the truly sad parts about this passage for me is that it says that they are amazed, but then they walk away. That they can say and recognize the true things about Jesus at the start. And that they can then be amazed by his answer at the end. And yet somehow it doesn't change them. And they still walk away. And what I want us to sit with today is the sad reality that any of us, that none of us are immune to the fact that we can recognize true things about Jesus and even be amazed by Jesus, and yet still not truly give ourselves to God. That we can still not recognize that the image of God is actually imprinted on us and on the people around us. The reality that all of us live in is that there are so many images of this world that are trying to imprint themselves on our souls. So many things that are trying to tell us who we are or who we are supposed to be. And just like Caesar on this coin, calling himself the son of God, those things that the world are saying to us are imposters. When the reality is that the image of God is imprinted on our very souls, on our very being, and that this is our true identity. That from the outset, we were created as the image of God, in the image of God. And that even when that image is marred and covered by sin and by the things of this world, the image of God is nonetheless still there within us. And the truth is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that in Jesus, we are made whole and we are made new. The reality is, is that he wipes us clean. So that, in the ima- and so that in Jesus, the image of God can shine then bright again in us. The dullness and grime of this world can be wiped clean. So that his image is our true and real identity again. It was there all along. But are we willing to see it and truly accept it? As true. And are we willing to see the image of God in our neighbors even when it's hard to see? The reality for each one of us is that it is possible for us to come to church every Sunday to hear and to say true things about Jesus, be amazed by him in the midst of worship, 
and then walk away unchanged. And why is that? Why is it that we can hear and see and do all these things that we know and still struggle and feel like it's just, I just can't seem to get changed. I don't seem to be changing. Or maybe there are certain areas of our lives where we're like, man, God's done such a work in this part of my life. But boy, like over here, I just, I can't, there's no movement. I think part of that is because the call to give God what belongs to God, that idea that what belongs to God is to give him all of us, that call can feel really scary and can feel too costly at times. And so I wonder for each of us, and I'd like for us to kind of sit with this this morning, to ask the question of are there things in our lives that, and places that we know we're meant to let go of that instead we resist because it feels like too much, too hard. Like, I'll give you this part, Lord, but I'm not going to give you this. Sometimes we can bargain with God so that we kind of keep the parts that feel the most important to us, the ones that we don't want to give up, the ones that feel like too much part of our identity to really let go of. And yet the call of God is to give all of ourselves to him, knowing that he can be trusted with us, that the things that the Herodians said about him and the disciples of the Pharisees said about him were true, that he is sincere, that he does teach the way of God in accordance with the truth, that he does not regard people with partiality. All of those things and so much more is true about Jesus in such a way that he can be trusted. And trusted in such a way that we're able to let go even if we don't know what the outcome is going to look like or maybe if it doesn't feel easy. So I wonder for us, as we think through this this morning, if you find ways that you're just not changing or places where you're not changing, and I don't mean your circumstances, okay? This is not about circumstances. This is like at the root of who we are. The things that have yet to be transformed into the, more into the likeness of Christ. I would invite you this morning to ask, what is it that you might be holding on to? What am I holding on to in my, within myself that I just don't want to let go of? If you're here and you have never actually said yes to Jesus, the invitation is here. Where you can say with who you are, I give you myself. I give you who I am. I want to say yes to you. And then for those of us who have said yes to Jesus... The invitation is also here to keep saying yes. It's not a one-time deal, folks. I wish it was, but it's not. The reality is, is that even though we have been wiped clean, we are also continually being wiped clean as we continue to follow and say yes to Jesus. It is a lifelong process of being transformed into his likeness. And so I wonder what it might look like when you, like, if you encounter Jesus and he says something to you and your instinct is to say, that's too much, I'm just going to have to walk away. And not walk away from him totally, but just I can't say yes to that. What would it look like to choose to say yes? 
what it would look what it look like to assume our true identity as being in the image of God and therefore the offer being that we can be wiped clean in such a way that we can shine with the glory of God. And so I encourage you this morning to not walk away and without heeding the invitation from Jesus. God inscribed us with his image from the start and he wants to see the sin and the grime of this world continue to be wiped away from us so that we might shine with his glory. And so what would it look like to trust him enough to do just that? Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you and there are ways, Lord, that we feel comfortable saying yes to you and there are ways that it really is hard. That the way of discipleship is costly. And so, God, I just pray for your grace on us now. And, Lord, I pray for the things within us that make it hard to trust. And for those in this room, God, who have shown up and yet are just not sure they can trust again. Would your grace come upon them, Lord, I pray. Would you give them grace in their weary souls to just choose one more time to trust you as best as they can? Maybe just with one little thing. And Holy Spirit, as we give our yeses to you, Would you do the work that only you can do in us, God? That the work of change is not something that we're able to orchestrate within our own lives, but only in in coordination with you and your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come and do for us the things that we cannot do for ourselves, we pray. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness to us. We thank you, Jesus, that you chose to come and dwell among us. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are here with us now. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen.